Welcome to this special series of the Say Yes to Holiness podcast, hosted by me, Christina Simmons, who will be your guide for this audio online retreat that's going to be focused upon continuing to help you become the saint God created you to be. This retreat, we're going to be reading from the spiritual classic, The Soul of the Apostolate by Dom Jean-Baptiste Chattard. And it's going to include a brief reflection and daily resolution. It's designed to help you incorporate and live out that wisdom in your daily life. So, join with me now as we take our next step in our pilgrimage towards holiness. Hello and welcome to Day 32. We begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you to open our hearts and minds as we pray this prayer from St. Augustine, our patron and intercessor. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So today, our section is about how the apostle radiates mortification. So this is the last um, last part of how it is that an apostle radiates different aspects of Christ to others um, in the midst of their apostolate. So we begin. The apostle radiates mortification. The spirit of mortification is another principle of fruitfulness in good works. Everything is summed up in the cross. And as long as we have not made the mystery of the cross sink deeply into the souls of men, we have as yet barely touched their service. But who will ever be able to get people to accept this mystery, which so repels that horror of suffering which is so natural to mankind? Only the man who can say with the great apostle, with Christ, I am nailed to the cross. The only ones capable of such a task are those who carry in themselves Jesus crucified. Always bearing about in our body the mortification of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be made manifest in our bodies. To mortify oneself is to reproduce the Christ who did not please himself. That is, to renounce ourselves under all circumstances, to get to love everything that displeases our nature, and finally, to tend to the ideal of being a victim that is immolated without ceasing every moment of the day. Now, without the interior life, it is simply impossible to uproot all our most stubborn instincts in this way. The poverello of Assisi could walk in silence through the streets of the old hill town, preaching the mystery of the cross by his mere appearance. But an apostle who knows no mortification wastes his time preaching Calvary, even if he is able to borrow the finest flights of Bossuet to do so. The world is so firmly entrenched in the spirit of pleasure that ordinary arguments and even the most brilliant analyses and intuitions would be incapable of destroying its citadel. What is needed is for some minister of God to make the passion of vivid living reality by his own mortification and detachment. They are enemies of the cross of Christ, St. Paul would say, of those numerous Christians who only see in Christianity a form of social conformity, men for whom our religion is nothing but a habit of certain external practices, handed down by tradition and carried out from time to time with respect, of course, but without any relation to the amendment of life, 
the combat against the passions, or the introduction of gospel living into our practical living. The Lord might well say of such as this, the people appear to honor me, but they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Enemies of the cross of Christ, those weakened Christians who think it is indispensable that they should surround themselves with every comfort and give in to all the demands made by the world, to seek its inordinate pleasures, and to follow with passionate interest all its changing fashions. Such people are shocked by these words of our Lord, which they can no longer understand, and yet it is something he said for the benefit of every man. Except you do penance, you shall all likewise perish. As St. Paul says, the cross has become to them a stumbling block. And yet, how is the apostle going to produce other Christians if he himself has no interior life? Any true priest will naturally feel great satisfaction when he sees large crowds at his various services, and yet he will have no real enthusiasm over all this if he knows that they have all come as a matter of routine, merely out of fidelity to certain respectable family customs, to certain habits which do nothing to influence the course of their lives in general. Nor will he draw any joy from this big attendance if he finds that its only cause is the pleasure that people take in hearing good music, in seeing nice decorations, or listening to a rhetorical exercise which they have come to enjoy for its form and style alone. One might think that this enthusiasm would be quite legitimate when there was question of many people making frequent communions, but at this point a memory of my trip to America comes to my mind. As I visited certain parishes, I was delighted to find out that a good number of men there were faithful to the communion of the first Friday of the month. But a holy New York priest commented on my delight with, Man sees the face, but God sees the heart. Do not forget, he went on, that you are in a country where nobody is held back by human respect, and where bluff is fairly universal. Restrain your admiration until you come to a parish where a reliable observer can testify that frequent communion is a genuine indication, if not of a complete amendment of life, at least of sincere efforts to lead a Christian life, and a loyal desire not to compromise with heavy drinking and the ruthless ambition to make a lot of money. Far be it from us to underrate the slightest traces of Christian life, however paltry. But the real burden of these pages is to deplore our lamentable incapacity without interior life to produce any effects except these trivial, though not altogether negligible, results. All that Jesus wants is our heart. The reason why he came to reveal to men the sublime truths of faith was to conquer their hearts, possess their wills, and inspire them to follow him in the path of renunciation. An apostle who is accustomed to an interior life based on the Lord's words, let him deny himself, will be fully capable of producing in others this self-denial, which is the foundation of all moral perfection. But one who only lags far behind our Lord in carrying the cross will be incapable of such a result. Since he himself is such a coward when it comes to imitating Christ crucified, how will he ever preach to his people the holy war against the passions, the war in which our Lord sounded the rallying cry for us all? Only an apostle who is disinterested, humble, and chaste can lead souls on into the battle against the ever-growing forces of greed, ambition, and impurity. Only an apostle who has learned the science of the crucifix will be able to check that everlasting search for comfort and ease, that worship of pleasure that threatens to sweep the whole world and undermine families and whole nations to their eventual destruction. St. Paul summed up his apostolate as preaching Christ crucified. 
because he lived in Christ and in Christ crucified, he was able to give souls a taste for the mystery of the cross and teach them to live it. Too many apostles in our own day no longer have enough interior life to fathom this life-giving mystery, to steep themselves through and through with it until it shines forth from everything they do. They look at religion too much from the point of view of philosophy, sociology, or even of aesthetics. They see in it only those elements which appeal to the mind and excite the sensibilities and imagination. They give free scope to their inclination to regard religion as a sublime school of poetry and of an incomparable art. It is quite true that religion possesses all these qualities, but to consider it only under these secondary aspects would be to subject the economy of the gospel to a grievous distortion, making an end of something that is nothing but a means. But it is a species of sacrilege to take the Christ of Gethsemane, of the Praetorium, of Calvary, merely as a good subject for a holy picture. Ever since man's sin, penance, reparation, and spiritual war have become necessary conditions of our life. At every turn, the cross of Christ is there to remind us of the fact. The incarnate word, zeal for his Father's glory, will not be satisfied with mere admiration. He wants imitation. Benedict XV invited all true apostles in his encyclical of November 1, 1914, to put their hand to the plow with greater determination than ever. In their labor of getting souls away from their love of comfort, their egotism, their flippant tastes, and their forgetfulness of eternal values. That amounted to an appeal to all ministers of our crucified God to lead an interior life. God, who has given us so much, asks of the Christian, as soon as he has reached the age of reason, to unite something of himself to the bitter bloodshedding of Christ's passion, to unite what we might call our soul's blood, that is, all the sacrifices that are required in the observance of the law of God. How would the faithful be inspired to generosity in sacrificing wealth, pleasure, and honor? Only by the example of a director of souls who has made himself familiar with the spirit of sacrifice. When we see the repeated victories of our infernal foes, we may well wonder, in our anxiety, where to look for the salvation of our society. When will it be the church's turn to win a few battles? The answer is easy. We can say, with our Lord, this kind is not cast out, but by prayer and fasting. It will be our turn when the ranks of the clergy and of the religious orders will have begun to produce a body of mortified men who will make the great splendor of the mystery of the cross blaze in the eyes of all people and the nations of the earth seeing in mortified priests and religious how reparation is made for the sins of the world will also understand the redemption of the world by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Only then will the army of the devil begin to retreat, and the ages of human history will no longer echo with the terrible anguished cry of our outraged Lord, that cry that will at last have found some to make reparation. And I sought among them for a man that might set up a hedge and stand in the gap before me in favor of the land, that I might not destroy it, and I found none. Someone has tried to find out why a single sign of the cross from Father de Ravillon was enough to electrify indifferent Catholics and even unbelievers who had come to hear him out of mere curiosity. The conclusion to which he was led after questioning many of these who had heard the Holy Jesuit was that it was the preacher's austerity of life which was given a most striking manifestation by this sign of the cross, uniting him with the mystery of Calvary. So, a little bit longer section, but not too long. And the question might be, as we're thinking about mortification, we need to make sure 
that our mortification is not just so that we're checking a box, but rather our mortification is united with the sufferings of Christ. We can do this in the smallest of things and also in the largest of things. It all depends on the cross that our Lord has placed before you or upon you at this time. A sacrifice is anything in which we accept freely anything we do not like, cannot change, did not choose, and don't understand. If we freely accept these things in our life and we say, Lord, your will be done, not mine, we are mortifying ourselves. In a particular way, our resolution today can be to mortify ourselves in a traditional way by either giving up something that you enjoy eating or drinking or by doing something that is not a pleasant nature to yourself. Do not do anything that is a threat to your health. That is not the point of this. Rather, it's to be able to understand that our Lord works in the normal circumstances of our lives in order to help us be able to make reparation for souls. We might not think that it means much to give up a piece of chocolate or for us to go and do a workout or for us to do spiritual reading or for us to spend time before the Blessed Sacrament instead of going and doing something else we enjoy. We might not think that these mean anything, but when they are done, united with Christ on the cross, because this is God's will, then it is power unimaginable. So our resolution today is to do something that is able to bring that power into the world and bring about reparation of all the souls who are in need. Know my continued prayers for each of you, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of this special series of the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you think of others who may benefit from listening, be sure to share the podcast with them. Until next time, know my prayers for you to be given whatever graces you may need to continue doing whatever it takes on the journey towards holiness. So together, we can tell the master of death, not today. God bless.